So Reggie, beyond being a, a fantastic friend of mine and a better golfer than I, I must add. Uh, <laughs> On the line. <laughs> uh, Reggie, just a little bit about Reggie. Um, Reggie's been in ministry for how many years? Uh, about 29, 30. Uh, yeah. 30 years. And uh, before that, he was, he was in the Air Force. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, has also received a, a doctorate degree. I mean, just this guy's super sharp. How many? He you planted New Beginnings Fellowship, uh, which is in it was in Duluth. It's in Lawrenceville now. And now, uh, what is your what is your title uh, with uh, CMNA? Uh, assistant District Superintendent. Assistant District Superintendent, and and he's kind of over the church planting arm of it, but an entire denomination in the in a certain region. So. Uh, he does great work with that and is very experienced, and anytime I can get him here at New City, I love to have him here. So if you wouldn't mind standing, I'm going to read our scripture for us today, and then Reggie will dig in with us here. Uh, we are actually uh, skipping to the 10th commandment. We didn't think God would mind. Uh, we're going to go back to the 9th uh, next week because Reggie was just uh, so eager to preach this word to you today. And here's, here's the command. Hear the word of the Lord. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we thank you for your word, for the commands. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the demands of the law, what it calls us to, what it calls us from. Lord, we're thankful for the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ himself, in every way, Lord. He fulfills those demands that we cannot meet. But Lord, we're also thankful for the responsibility of the law, the call to live and to put on the new self in Christ. And Lord, we pray that you give us strength to do that today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Ryan. Father, we again thank you for today. Uh, I do pray for your manifestation. I'm a flawed and broken vessel. Anything that good comes has to come from you. So here I am on mission in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to preach about how to overcome coveting. Uh, and so the, first of all, I want to acknowledge that I'm coveting a taller stand here. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. We, we, so we'll, hopefully we'll both will be over, oh, we can overcome that today. So, I mean, have you ever seen someone's home and you really, really want that home badly? Or it could be somebody's uh, spouse and secretly you want that woman that, I, mean, I, know, about, I know nobody in here, but I, I do know people like that. Or it may be somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend uh, it could be somebody's money. We live in a capitalistic society, right? And I think uh, uh, there's a lot of covenant going on. It could be somebody's property, fame, fortune. You could want somebody's lifestyle. You could want somebody's looks, somebody's height. You could want somebody's job, somebody's influence somebody's vehicle, somebody's personality. The list can go on and on and on and on. We all covet. I was, I was trying to uh, connect with the message and, 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 and I was thinking, man, Lord, you know, I, I know I got some coveting somewhere, 
going on. I went out and said, well, maybe I'm pretty good on this one. And I was with some friends the other night, uh, a couple nights ago, and the guy's uh, girlfriend, she is, um, she's a doctor, she has about three or four businesses, and we were just talking, and then they start talking about their gift of singing. And then silently, I began to covet her gift of singing, because I always wanted to be a singing preacher, you know, and uh, she didn't know it, nobody knew it, but I said, ah, there it is, Lord. I am coveting this woman's gift. Coveting is an internal deal. You know, if I stole something, you'll be able to see that, right? But coveting, I could be around you, and you'll never know my internal struggles that's going on. And so today I want to talk to you about overcoming the spirit of coveting or overcoming coveting. And here's my point. Here's my big picture. Here's the main thing I want to leave with you. The one big idea I want to say over and over and over again. When you, when you leave here, I want that thing to be playing in your head. Here it is. We can overcome coveting only by turning our eyes upon Jesus, not redoubling our efforts. What did I say? We can only overcome coveting by turning our eyes upon Jesus and not Read not, and not just by redoubling our efforts. And the church said, amen. Exodus 20, we just read that. I really wanted to read the King James Version, but uh, I think Ryan looked at me strangely because the word A-S-S may be misconstrued. But he said, you should not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor, you should not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, or his female a servant or his oxen or his, that's when the other King James Version uses something else, or his donkey, uh, anything that belongs to your neighbor. And then Jesus says in Luke 12, 15, and he said to them, take heed and be uh, aware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things he possesses. So what is covetous? What, what it does mean to covet something. Coveting is a strong desire, a craving, a strong desire, a craving to have what belongs to someone else. It's a strong desire, a craving to have what belongs to someone else. Strict scripture declares that co to, to covet or uh, covetedness is idolatry because anything that we think can make us better or add to our lives apart from Jesus Christ is classic idolatry. And so I have four daughters, and I don't know, it has to be some cosmic justice for me to have four daughters. Because um, I was just raised with just my brother, and it was just me and my brother. So I, don't have, I still don't have a clue about women. All I know is I'm just lost. But my four daughters, uh, three of them are over six feet. One of them, the 22-year-old, is 6'5". Six, is six it's a tough day when she walked to me around and threw her arms around me and said, Dad, it's okay. She's looking down. My height is the only thing I had around there. I have one that's 6'2", that's 17. And I have one that's just turned 14 in July. She's 6'3". All of them are fantastic volleyball players. 
Uh, Jordan played for, the oldest one played for a D1 school. She went to play for Georgia State. She's a great player. Jada is a great leader, and she plays for the uh, A5 Gwinnett. But it's Joya, the youngest one, that shows the most promise in the sport. This is the youngest one that's the, that just turned 14, 6, 6, 3. She's, 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 I'm coveting her gift, actually. And so um, the, the club owner uh, of uh, A5, which A5 is one of the top clubs in the nation, says, let me be clear to you about this. It's not if Joya wants to play at a D1 school, or will she play at a D1 school. It's if she keeps her grades up and she stays healthy, it's which D1 school she wants to play for, she'll get to pick. True to form, all the schools, if it makes me feel good, Texas and, and Wisconsin, all the top volleyball schools are after this little 13, 14-year-old girl. So I'm walking around kind of swollen up. But anyway, the point I want to make in telling you this story is Jordan, the, the one, she's a 22-year-old now that, that played, she's a coach and, uh, at one of the high schools, assistant coach, and she's a trainer. And she saw one little girl, and one little girl was just weeping, just, just, just weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping. And so Jordan walked up to her and says, what's wrong, sweetheart? She says, my parents are putting so much pressure on me to be joyous green. But Jordan said, that's my sister. He said, she said, yeah, well, why are you crying? Because every day all I hear about is how good Joya Screen is and how great Joya Screen is. And you ought to be more like Joya Screen and yada, yada, yada. You know what was happening there? The parents were coveting my daughter's gift and positing that thing on their daughter. And it was just causing her anguish. We all have this ability to want what others have in an intense way. And so it's this illicit desire. And I, I want to talk about this illicit desire for a minute. Unless we become confused, I want us to understand this. It's a desire to want this thing just really badly, but, the, but desire, the Bible uses covet, to, when it uses covet, it doesn't use it all the time in a bad way. It is the illicit part of it. That's bad, but desire in and of itself is not wrong. It would have been great for the mother to use my daughter as a, a what we call a mimetic exemplar, a uh, imitatable model, and to tell the young lady, you got your own gifts, your God has given you your own skills, and you can be the best you can be in that particular area. And so it's that illicit desire that's wrong. Now let me just do a little confession here. When I was a young preacher, how many of you ever heard of Tony Evans? When I first got into ministry and started preaching, I wanted to be Tony Evans. I mean, I used to lift Tony. I mean, you're talking about a classic plagiarist here. And I guess my acting skills were not too bad either because I preached Tony Evans' sermons better than he could preach them. And th now here's the thing that I got away with because most of the church at that time had not heard Tony Evans. <laughs> and, and, and so when I, I, I can still preach today, who is this Jesus? Uh-huh. And I can go to the book of Malachi chapter 1 and still preach 30 years later his sermon from there. 
and I can preach Malachi 3. Tony went to Carver Bible College, and I wanted to go to Carver Bible College. Tony went to uh, DTS and graduated with a THD. I wanted to go to DTS and graduate with THD. Tony lived in Dallas. I wanted to move to Dallas. Tony preached expositorily. I took a course in the Congress of Biblical Exposition and other courses in college, one from the great Dr. Late Stephen Alford, the Prince of Expositional Preaching. I wanted to be Tony Evans. I wanted what Tony had. Tony was a black evangelical, and I coveted being exactly like Tony. I wanted what Tony had. It was an illicit strong craving of desire. And so we're always going to have desires, but they don't have to be illicit. Now, Scripture is pretty clear. Uh, one of my people who disciples said that we're going to either have strong desires perverted, which is called flesh or lust. Strong desire perverted. And or we will have strong desire purified, which is love. But faith operates through this strong desire we have. The Bible says that desire in a good way, it uses 1 Corinthians 12, 31. But covet, have a strong craving earnestly for the best gifts. And then 1 Corinthians 1439 says, wherefore, brethren, covet prophecy. So it uses it not just in a bad way, but it uses the word in a good way. Desires aren't necessarily a bad thing. The Bible says in First Galatians 5, 6b, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That is a strong desire purified that lives a self for others' life. And so if we want to be able to manage this, this spirit of covetousness, we have to know and manage our desires. And uh, we can only do that in the Lord. But I want to give a little illustration on how this works, how powerful desires are. A few years ago, I had um, a scrumptious plate of spaghetti. I mean, it was slamming. And that's a euphemism for good. Okay? And um, I ate this spaghetti, and it was, I mean, I don't know what was going on, but this thing on spaghetti, but it was like no other that I've had. Uh, by the way, I didn't cook it. And I ate to myself to satisfaction, and then I began to think about the later in the day, it was about noon. I said, well, I think I'll fix me a big plate of this so that the kids don't eat it all up and I'm disappointed in the evening. Well, this particular year, it was hot. You know how Georgia hot is, right? And I don't know what was going on with the flies. Uh-huh, you know where I'm going with this. Uh, but all day I was thinking about this, this plate of spaghetti. But these flies, they were bad this year. They were terrible. But it was not just a regular old common fly. It was a chief of flies, the blowfly. 
I mean, they were everywhere. So I remember after I got up and I ate, and I got up and I fixed my plate and I had it open, and the kids were going in and out of the door. So I said, let me just run and use the restroom really quick. And then I washed my hand, I came back, I got my big plate, I covered it up, I put it in the refrigerator, and went on about my date. And later on the day, I started thinking, it got dust dark. I said, man, I'm getting ready to go back in, and it's going to be me and that spaghetti. I was having a strong desire moment. I was having a craving moment. So I sat in the kitchen. It was dark, and I sat down, and I, I got my utensils, and I'm getting ready to go in, and it's kind of dark. And I said, well, I think I want to be able to see what I'm eating. And I went and flipped the light on, and the big forkful I had taken up, I looked, there was, to my dismay, a big blow fly. What do you think I did with that? Talk to me. What do you think I did with it? Huh? I, 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 <laughs> who said ate it? <laughs> I don't know what that says about your image of me. I not only threw away that portion of it, I threw the whole plate away, the spoon that it touched, <laughs> I threw everything away. Because before I could masticate, I saw something, eat as the English call it, masticate, but when, before I can eat something, I saw something that changed my strong desire. And so now I no longer use my faith to get to eat that. See, the Bible says faith, and it works through love, strong desire. And so, so, so the blowfly changed how I saw things. And so it's our desires that we have to really, really be honest about. And those desires can change, just like the blowfly changed my Desire, my strong desire changed and my action changed. So what is covetousness? It's a craving. It's a strong desire. It's illicit for something somebody else already has. Now this hastens me to my second point. And my second point is how do we overcome an illicit strong desire, a craving, to have what belongs to someone else. And oftentimes you will hear people say, give more. If you give more, it's going to help. Or have greater willpower. Or you're just not content. Or they will tell you to do, 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 so you can overcome. Well, I'll tell you today, if you focus on do, 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 all you will get is do, do. We cannot overcome any of the, the, and live any of the Ten Commandments in our own strength long term through your self-effort. It just doesn't happen. The law is like a mirror. And what's the mirror's job? Somebody tell me, talk to me. To reflect what, what actually is. Now I know some of you get up in the morning and you need, need no adjustments. I'm just not one of them. 
When I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror, I got morning stuff all over. I have to work with my eyes. My beard looks straggly. My hair. The point is, when you get up in the morning and see your morning face with stuff everywhere, and the mirror shows it to you, you don't pull the mirror off the wall and wash your face with it. The mirror just points you to the reality of what is, and that's what the law does. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not covet. It points to the reality, we'll see here in a few minutes, of what is. What you do is you turn the water on, and the water is the thing that cleans you. Amen? And most of us preachers see the law as a means to clean yourself up. No, the law is a means to show you you. If you don't use it rightly, it's a means to condemn you. If you don't use it right, it's a means to stir sin up in you. If you don't use it right, it's a means to kill you. The Bible says if you don't use the law right, and so this is why I struggle preaching the Ten Commandments, if we, I was so happy to see the law and the gospel. Because if we were going to use the law as a means of the codes and the rules of live by in your own self-effort, I was going to say, man, we're all going to be dead around here. The Bible says the law will nullify the grace of God in your life if you try to use it by living up to it in your own self-effort. Galatians 2.21, he says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Some translations say, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there would be no need for Christ to die. Not only did Christ die to save us from our sins, his death and life is the means of our sanctification. And the church said, amen. The Galatians 2.19 says, for when I tried keeping the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements. Why? What did the scripture say? So I might live for God. And so if we're going to live for God, we have to understand the relationship of the law and how to do it and how to be able to to, to, um, to manage our life in a way that we can have access to the grace of God. Paul's our example. If you were to ask Paul, did you keep the commandments? He would say, give me the first nine. Did you have no other gods before you? He would say, you got that right. Did you make a graven image? He would say, no, I didn't. Did you take God's name in vain? He said, absolutely not. Did you keep the Sabbath? He would say, yes. Did you honor your mother and father? Yes. All the way to number 10. And Paul said, you got me on covenant. Look at Romans 7, verses, chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Well then, I'm struggling. I'm suggesting, he said, that the law of God, he said, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Let me bend down here a little bit, Ryan. Of course not. In fact, it is the law that showed me my sin. What shows you your sin? I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin, he says, use, he personifies it, 
use the command, help me, Holy Spirit, to arouse all kind of covetous desires. He said, sin used the law to do that within me. If there was, were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not, not to covet, for, for instance, the power of sin came, what? To life. And I died. Now, he's not talking about here in reference to salvation. I think he's talking about in reference to sanctification here. So I discovered that the law's command, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. And so sin took advantage of those commands and what? Deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. So the trouble is not with the law, he says in verse 14. It is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human and a slave to sin. I really don't understand myself, he says. Now, can you relate to this? For what I do, what I want to do is right. How many of you got a good want to? About three of y'all. <laughs> for what I want for what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I hate what uh, well, I do what I hate. Verse 7, uh, 24 and 25. Oh, what Miserable, tired, frustrated, worn out person I am. Anybody can relate to that? Oh, what miserable, tired, frustrated, worn out person that I am. He had discovered something about himself. He had this spirit of covetousness about himself. He wanted people's stuff. He looked good on the outside, but something else was happening on the inside. Oh, what miserable person that I am. And what does he ask? Does he say, how will I be delivered? He doesn't say that, does he? Or what will I do? What, what's the opposite word he uses there? Who? He turns back now. We're at the gospel part now, aren't we? Who? Not redouble your efforts, Paul. Not grind. I will not be a coveting person anymore. He says, who shall what? Free me from this life dominated by sin and death. Who? He says. Freedom comes through a person. Amen? There's one who is altogether glorious, and he's fixed it, and his name is, my hope is built in nothing less than and his righteousness. And so, who shall deliver me? Then he says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ. Who's the answer? I wish I had some help here today. Who's, I know we're Presbyterian up in here. I know we're Presbyterian. Uh, I, I know you got, you, if it was mustard, 
you will be the great Poupon kind of people and not the Frenchies. I know it. Oh, but sometimes I know you're able to, to uh, identify with this. You know, I know because I see, I, I was looking the other day and there was this mother, her, um, her kid had done something and she was the well put together to do type, you know. And she was trying to hold it together. Then the waterworks started and she just got all together undone because her kid was doing something and it was so good to her. So what I'm talking about here is the gospel. Amen. And, uh, and I'm talking about Jesus and he's altogether lovely. And he's the one that saves you from the, other, from, from, from the lowest to the highest, from the gutter to the othermost. And so, so, he, so the person we look to in any kind of frustration we have, any kind of problem we have, any kind of bondage we have, his name is Jesus. And the law, he says, in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. I want to show you a video here quickly. And Ryan said, I, I can't believe you are showing this video in this upscale well-to-do church. <laughs> now you want to know what it is, don't you? And so that's when the heavy, heavy cocaine abuse came in. And I just wanted to disappear. I remember just lighting that pipe and just looking forward to that hit. All of a sudden I heard my ears just ringing really loud. And like everything went black, like my eyes just shut down. My eyes were wide open, but it went black and I fell back. And um, I was having a heart attack. The pain in my chest was like, my heart was going And it was like, I felt like somebody was stabbing me with a knife in my heart, but I couldn't see anything. And all I could remember was that, it, it, you know, there was nothing but blackness around me. And just, I realized, crap, I'm dying. I'm dying. And all I could remember is Jesus. That's all I could think about was God. And I saw my life literally flash before my eyes. And as I called upon his name, I just said, Jesus, Jesus, I'm, I'm alone. I'm sorry. And come and get me. Save me from myself. I'm sorry. And all I could do was like say sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was a prostitute. I was so ashamed. And the ambulance came, they took me in the hospital, and the doctor came over and said, um, do you know how lucky you are? You have a lot of drugs in your system, lady, and you're allergic to narcotics. And he's like, God's with you. And I knew, I knew that um, Jesus heard my prayer. I was in such despair and desperation. I would really cry out to God, you know. And then one night, he appeared to me in a dream. I would go into this beautiful garden and sat on the bench was the Lord Jesus. And I would go to him, we would sit, and we would just talk about, I don't even know what we spoke about, but he never, ever once condemned me. I said, Jesus, I just want to see you. I want to know what you look like. I don't care about the movies I've seen. I just want to see you. I want to talk to you, I want to see you. And so he granted my request. I had a dream of him one night. And he came to me and he didn't look anything like any picture, any person I've ever seen before. He was the most handsome man I've ever seen, beautiful. And he came to me and went this close to my face and looked into my eyes and read me 
from a baby until my perfect age that I was, everything I've done didn't say a word to me and looked at me with love in his eyes like, I love you. It was such beauty and such love that emanated from him. I was just, I fell at his feet. I was like a dead person. And believe me, at that particular point in my life, I wasn't scared of much, but I was, and it wasn't like a fear he's gonna hit me. It was like who he was, who he really is. And I fell at his feet and I just was, I just cried and I said, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've done. And when I got up, he'd say, Helena, I'm waiting for you. And, uh, so beautiful, so, so gentle, so, so gentle. And that went on for about six months. I, 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 I was always waiting for him to say a harsh word or condemn me, but he didn't. He said, I love you. You're healed, you're whole, you're delivered. And just like this fire was lit in me. And I just started to weep. And I just realized, God loves me. No matter what I've done, no matter all the mistakes I've made, no matter how many people I've hurt, He still loves me. And He can make something of my life. As you come, let me just say a word on this. I watched that this morning, I was trying to find some type of uh, prop or something that could help enhance what I was trying to say. And I just, I had to break down and weep about what I know about Jesus. He's, he's the pursuer, isn't he? When you read the gospel, he's, he's the one that goes to the lady who had all the husbands, right? And goes to the down and out. He's the pursuing God. And so as we go through life, I just want to leave with this illustration. I think, uh, Brian, let me just use you and your wife. You'll stand right up here. We'll reference you. We'll reference, you represent the law or, man, let's make it like this right here. Come right on this side here. You're going to represent the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because I couldn't get away with putting that on your wife. And you represent the tree of life. And in life, we're always caught between these alternatives, aren't we? And uh, this is Eve in the garden. And this, the devil was using the law to entice her. What she should, most people said she should have redoubled her efforts and just said no. But from my understanding, what she should have done is what we do in the Air Force, if I could still do it. We call it a, an about face. And turn to this tree called a tree of life and ate. And by her turning, uh, uh, turning to the tree of life, it would automatically overcome this law of sin and death, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because life swallows up death. 
and light dispels darkness. So what's the last thing I want to leave you with? Follow Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. He's enough. He's a satisfier. He's altogether lovely. He's the one that will take care of this. Not me. Come on, Jesus.